the word of God speaks to us like this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of God. Amen. Hey guys, good morning. It's good to see everybody. If we haven't met yet, my name is Josh Curry, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and take a second and pray for you, and I'm going to ask you to pray for me, and then we're going to dive in. Father, thank you so much for the good news that rest is not a technique. Hey, thank you that it's a relief and it's a beautiful gift that a gospel-centered conversation about rest is not about becoming more proficient at managing technology or calendar or schedule, although all those things matter. Thank you that the heart of rest is a person, a person who's taken our burdens, who invites us to uh, enter into the beginnings of the new creation, who's alive, who's interceding for us, who loves us, who doesn't just have a to-do list for us, uh, but he wants to make us lay down in green pastures. So I pray today as we open up your word that you would feed us and encourage us. And I pray for people that feel exhausted, beat down, weary, frantic. I pray that even in the next few minutes, Lord, that they would hear the voice of their father that says, hey, just stop. Breathe in my love. Receive your name. Work from rest. So help us today, Lord. We love you. We need you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Hey, so if you've been with us for the last few weeks, we've been looking at rhythms of grace. And the big idea behind rhythms of grace is that there's ancient practices that God gave his people and that he continues to give his people that become places of meeting with God places of spiritual formation, habits or practices that reconnect us to the splendor of the gospel. And today we get to talk about the rhythm of grace that I, by both natural disposition and personal sin bent, probably struggle with the most, and that is rest, rest. Uh, Full disclosure, I struggle, I struggle with things like self-care. When I hear people talk about self-care, it sounds super Kardashian-y to me, right? I don't like it. It makes me throw up a little bit in my mouth. Um, During the peak of Enneagram, I just pretended to care so I wouldn't lose friends. I 
I would just glaze over and be like, oh yeah, you're a four. Oh, cool. Awesome. Praise be to God. I love fours. Um, I, I struggle with the concept of rest as self-helpism. And in fact, if I look back on my story, here's what's really interesting. Coming out of elementary school, I think that the ways that I got wounded, the ways that I carried brokenness, the ways that I navigated shame led me to being wide open to receive an identity that I didn't have going into high school. And going into high school, I started playing sports, and uh, I wasn't very talented, I wasn't very athletic, I wasn't very big, and I wasn't very fast. And so what happened to me on the football field was this weird moment, and I can almost remember the day that I believed this, that I connected to this thing that sort of told me that, hey man, you probably don't have what it takes, but you can work harder than anybody. You can play hurt, you can grind, you can put in more blood and more sweat and more tears than others, and that'll be who you are. Now, don't get me wrong, like that's not all bad. There's bits of truth in that, and there's things that we need to learn about grit and determination and managing pain and giving the extra effort that's needed for life. There's truth there, amen? But here's what happened in my case, that became a pervading a pervading identity for me that over the course of the next 20 years of my life, God has been slowly dismantling to offer me something better. I remember the second year of marriage. This was, uh, this was bad life planning. I was a newlywed. I was taking a full load in college. I was working two jobs and for free from my local church, I was pastoring three different youth ministries all at the same time that had about 500 kids in them. Okay, that's idiocy. That's idiocy. And I remember this moment where there was this godly spiritual mom in our church and praise be to God for spiritual moms, like in particular men that are wired like I'm wired with that kind of grinding need some moms in our lives. And this spiritual mom called me up and she said, hey, I need to meet with you. I'm like, all right, we sit down. She looks me in the eye and here's what she said. If you were to die today, you would not hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And I bucked, man. I was like, are you crazy? Man, I am killing it. I'm killing it. Do you have any idea how many students we baptized last year? And she just rebuked me. She cut me off and she said, oh, I know that. I know you're working really hard, but you're neglecting your relationship with Jesus. You're neglecting your relationship with your wife. And if you neglect those two things, everything else that you're doing is a joke. And it sank in. I didn't know what to do with it, but it sank in. Fast forward a few years, we get to the season of life in which we planted Frontline Church. We started in our living room. Despite our stupidity, God started growing the church and saving people. And uh, time went on, and we were a really poor church. We were broke as dirt. And we had about 700 people attending Frontline Church, multiple services on the weekend, and I was the only person on staff. Again, idiocy. I was exhausted, I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't resting, I was working all the time, I didn't have a day off, I didn't know how to unplug. My nights and my days just started blurring together. And God in his grace brought another spiritual parent into my life. He was a former vineyard pastor that had become a spiritual director and we started meeting together and for the first time in my life, I heard the term rhythm of rest and I started having to process it. 
fast forward a few more years, the same thing happens. I fall back into my old patterns. I've been a pastor at Frontline Church for seven years. Every seven years, we require all of our pastors to take what we call a sabbatical, which is just an intentional moment to take some time off, to reconnect to our values of being Christians and husbands and parents before we are machines serving God. And in the midst of that sabbatical, I realized that again, like I really struggle to rest in the finished work of Jesus. To just hear, well done, good and faithful servant, first connected to his work, not connected to my earning. And I could go on. There's moments along the way. I had another one last year, stepping down into a new role at Frontline Church and not taking off any other hats. It was a hectic year. It was a crazy year. And I realized again, oh man, I'm back to that place where I'm not building rhythms into my life to actually connect with Jesus and rest in God's grace and work from a place of God's mercy and acceptance instead of for trying to earn his mercy and his acceptance. So here's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna talk about rest and, and there'll be some practical stuff. There's some stuff I wanna say about rhythms of our lives and unplugging and taking a day off. But here's what I wanna do more than anything else. I want to reconnect rest to its rightful place. I wanna reconnect rest to its Christological importance. I want you to see that rest is not a technique. Rest is not a life hack. Rest is a person. And I want you to find that Jesus Christ is your Sabbath rest. Jesus Christ is the beginning of the new creation in which all things will eventually rest. And I want you to find that the rhythms of life that God invites you to are connected to both the grain of creation and the grain of new creation. And I want to invite you into both working hard and resting well to the glory of God. Amen? So here we go. I want to give you a few things to think about. Uh, I'm really excited about getting back into one book of the Bible. We have, I think, three more weeks in this rhythm series, and then we're going to dive into 1 Corinthians. Uh, today we're going to jump around a little bit, which is kind of breaking some rules, but I think we need to do it. So a few things to think about. Number one, I want you to see that rest is a rhythm. Rest is a rhythm. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. I'll have it up on the screen. In creation, here's what happens. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. And then Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it God rested from his work that he had done in creation. Okay, here's what you're going to find. If you read Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, you'll find that both work and rest are in the very grain of creation. Here's what we have in the creation account. We have God working in the six days of creation and every day of creation, there's a moment where God ceases from his daily work and he reflects on the work of the day. And he says, it was good. And what we find in that is that there's a daily rhythm in the grain of creation of both work and rest. It's good that God worked and it's good that God ceased working, experienced the incomplete completion of the day. The whole's not finished, but the day's done. And in the midst of that, God thinks on it, looks at it, beholds it, and declares the goodness of the day. And then after the completion of creation, on the seventh day, we find that God rested from his 
work. Okay, so track with me on this. This is a reminder that wisdom, wisdom, if you want to live a life of wisdom, which is simply, as I heard one person put it, going with the grain of how God's ordered creation, wisdom demands that we find a rhythm of life in which there's both daily work and daily rest, and they don't blur together where you don't know the differences between them, and there's a rhythm of both weekly work and weekly rest. And what can start to happen in a culture like ours with technological advancements that can be wonderful and helpful is that our days and our nights, our work and our rest, our home and our office can become so enmeshed and blurred together that we don't know the difference between any of them. Right? Am I the only one that finds that one of the tells that I'm drifting away from resting in the finished work of Jesus is that my days, my nights, and my weeks start to become a blur where they all run together? And I just don't know the difference. There's a lack of reflection. There's a, rack, a lack of ceasing from daily labor. We can find this with emails. We can find this with conference calls. We can find this with bringing work home in ways that are unhelpful for the flourishing of our families. So number one, the first thing I want you to see is the rhythmic nature of both work and rest. Number two, I want you to see that rest is also a commandment. Rest is also a commandment. Um, when God gives the commandments to Israel, the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment is connected to rest. And this commandment to rest is both rooted in creation and redemption. God just did the most definitive work of rescue in the Old Testament by bringing his people out of slavery in Egypt and into the wilderness. And when God does so, he then gives them Ten Commandments to order their lives to help them live under the rule of God. Let me read it to you starting in Exodus chapter 20 verse 8. God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the, Lord's, the Lord made heavens, the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the, seventh, the Sabbath day, and he made it holy." Okay, here's what I want you to see. As God gives this command to the children of Israel, and we're gonna talk about Sabbath and what does that mean for Christians and what do we do with that word and how do we order our lives, we'll get there. But let me just start by saying that the fourth commandment about the Sabbath is God confronting lies that his people are prone to believe. Here are the lies that we're prone to believe, both then and now. The first lie is the lie that human beings can be God, that we can be more than human. And the command to rest affirms the creatureliness of God's people. That we are like God in some ways as image bearers. And we are unlike God in a multitude of ways as God's creation. God is omnipotent. He can do anything. He has all power. We are not omnipotent. We are weak and finite. Meaning, the command to rest is a recognition that we don't give God what he needs, it's the opposite of that. That we are dependent upon him, he's not dependent upon us. That we get cold and we get tired and we get hungry and we get to the end of ourselves. God is omnipresent, we are not. We're limited to one place at one time. We are spatio-temporal beings that can only be here right now. 
God is not limited by time and space. The presence of God is everywhere. But we as human beings are limited. And in receiving that limitation, we're called by God to just pause and rest and think about the actual scope of our boundaries and borders. God is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows all things. Nothing's hidden from him. We are really ignorant of a lot of stuff. We don't know all things. What we find is that as God commands his people to rest, he's commanding them to reconnect to the fact that he's God and they're not. That they're to receive, that they're to breathe, that they're to come to God with open hands to be filled and open mouths to be fed. In addition, it confronts the lie that human beings are machines. Think about 420 years as slaves in Egypt, 420 years. And the Egyptians did everything they could to try to dehumanize the children of Israel, to reduce them to just animals or cogs in the machine. The whole point of being a slave under the rule of Egypt was simply to make bricks and more slaves. And what God does is he commands his people to rest as he reminds them that their existence isn't utilitarian. They don't exist with value, dignity, and worth because God needs them to get stuff done. Their existence is doxological. They exist to glorify God by worshiping him and and enjoying him and loving him. And so this command to rest is this reminder that, hey, God didn't save you because he needs you. God didn't save you because he's another Pharaoh and he's like stressed about all the stuff he needs to get done, make more bricks. God saved his people because he's merciful and he's placed value and dignity on his people because of grace. And in resting, we remember that we exist to worship God, to love God, to rest. We're not productivity machines. Hey, look at me. You are not a productivity machine. And and don't get me wrong, productivity matters. Work hard. Read Proverbs. Like, Proverbs is all about working hard. But that's not the essence of who you are. That's not the source of your value and worth. You're not a machine. You're an image bearer. You're a beloved son. You're a beloved daughter. In addition, the Sabbath command confronts the lie that man is an island, Man is an island, that we can be self-sufficient, that we can be isolated, that flourishing can happen with just me doing my own thing. And the Sabbath commandment reconnects us to the truth that we were made for relationship. The Sabbath was a day to worship God and be with each other, to enjoy friends, to enjoy family, to reconnect, to be face-to-face with those that God's placed in our lives, and most importantly, with God himself. So, number one, here's what we find. Rest is about the rhythm of creation. Number two, rest is a command of God. Number three, rest is a gift. Rest is a gift. Jesus shows up on the scene, and by the time Jesus showed up, there was this entire connection of oral traditions that the teachers of Israel had added to God's law. And what had happened, especially around the Sabbath commandment, is that they had started by trying to unpack and help people understand how to Sabbath, And then they had become so prescriptive and so demanding that they had just proliferated more rules and commands. And over time, by the time Jesus shows up, their teachings about the Sabbath were seen to carry equal weight as God's actual commandment about the Sabbath. 
So Jesus shows up and he doesn't give a rip about their oral teachings and commandments. He only cares about the true commands of God. And so he's constantly doing things that don't break the command of God, but break their rules. And he's constantly getting attacked for it. In this case, him and his disciples are walking through a grain field on the Sabbath. They're hungry and they're picking grain and they're eating it, which doesn't violate the Sabbath. It just violated the rabbi's rules. Here's what happens. They rebuke him and Jesus says this, Mark chapter two, verse 27. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Here's what we find. Jesus is giving a one-two punch to the legalistic teachers of his day and the legalistic teachers of our day. Here's what he's saying. The command of God is not about a burden to try to take joy out of people's lives. The command of God is about infusing your life with color and beauty and worship and flourishing. And let me just say, all the commands of God are like that. God's commands are not about trying to prevent you from living a life of joy and depth. God's commands are not about trying to frame your life up like some gray, drab, colorless life of just duty. God's commands are about living in step with his good order for you. And this includes his command to Sabbath. But the second thing he says is it's not only a gift that Man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. But he also gets us to the heart of the Sabbath in verse 28. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Now, this is a big statement. This doesn't just mean that Jesus, as the Son of God, has authority over the Sabbath. This also means that the Sabbath, which was a covenant sign to Israel of God's faithfulness, is also pointing beyond itself to find its fulfillment in Jesus. This leads to number four. Rest is a person. Rest is a person. Look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's what we find. This is amazing. The rest of God at the beginning of creation. The rest of God at the end of his six days of work, resting on the seventh day, is pointing beyond itself to a different kind of work of God to bring about the new creation. And what we find in the early church, which is really interesting, is that for Hundreds and hundreds of years, Jewish people Sabbathed on the last day of the week. That was the Sabbath. That was the day of worship and rest. But what happens really early on after the resurrection of Jesus, the day of Christian worship shifted from the last day of the week to the first day of the week. And in so doing, here's what they're saying. They're communicating something profound that in the empty tomb of Jesus... Through his death and through his resurrection, God has broken in to bring about the beginnings of the new creation in which humanity and creation itself will ultimately find its rest from labor. So track with me. This is life-changing and beautiful. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. 
in Jesus and his finished work on the cross, his finished work through the resurrection, Jesus invites us to rest from our religious toil, from earning, from atoning, from performing, from penance, all the ways that human beings are hardwired to try to get to God, to try to earn God's love, to try to clean ourselves up, to try to, through ritual and through activities that we can control, get God to receive us and accept us, to get ourselves on his good graces. Here's what we find. Jesus simply lives the life that we couldn't live. He offers to his father the obedience that we never have. And then Jesus on the cross bears all of our sin, all of our crimes against God and crimes against each other, all the ways in which we break everything that's beautiful, Jesus bears all that on himself. And here's the scandal of the entire Christian faith. Don't ever let somebody tell you the essence of Christianity is anything other than this. The heartbeat of what it is to be a Christian is that we receive through faith in Jesus by grace alone, the full merits of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection which means you don't have anything to prove, you don't have anything to earn, you don't have anything to offer. You simply receive as a gift the delight of the Father in his unique only begotten Son by grace through faith in Jesus. Which means, hey, like, you don't have to, you don't have to keep keeping score. Now, a right understanding of grace leads us to a desire to grow and leads to obedience and leads to a life of fruitfulness and service and worship and all that is essential and beautiful. But the essence of the Christian life is that Jesus is the end of mankind's religious toil. God's work through Jesus is finished. And I don't know, man, I don't know what levels of restlessness you brought in with you today, but I'm sure that like me, you brought some level of all that's unfinished, the things at work yet to be done, the relationship with your boss that's probably fraught with conflict and expectations, the things at home that are left to be undone, the yard work, the chores, the raising of children, And all those things, all those demands, all those burdens are constantly in the background of how we navigate this world. But at the core, on a deeper level, the restlessness of our souls is connected to not just those things that are left undone, but to a profound sense of unworthiness and a striving to earn, to be named, to create a space for ourselves, to justify our existence before a holy God. And I just want to tell you, man, like the good news of everything we just sang, the good news of this meal we're about to eat, the good news of all of the Christian life is that you're invited into the true Sabbath rest, which is not about one day a week not working. It's about for all eternity resting in a Savior who's done what you could not do. To receive the love of a father that you didn't earn. to breathe. And and if you're not a Christian today, that's what's offered to you in Jesus. God's Sabbath rest. And so, in Jesus Christ, we're invited to cease from our religious toil. We're also invited to cease from our misdirected worldly toil. The way that we 
try to control things. In Jesus, we're invited to stop. Hey, if you have little kids, let me just tell you, parenting little kids is hard. Parenting older kids is harder. Bad news. <laughs> right? Like, and I'm not taking away from how hard littles are, man. Littles will wear you out. They will wear you out, man. Vomit and diapers and food and screaming and sleepless nights lead to exhausted bodies. Man, I'll tell you what though, 18 year olds and 20 year olds lead to a different kind of exhaustion. <laughs> and my kids are great, I delighted them, they're amazing. But kids are one of the many places where we start to believe in the illusion that we can control that we can hold the universe together, that we can manage all things, that we can just keep stacking burdens up on our shoulders that we're big enough to carry. In Jesus Christ, you're invited to cease from your illusions of control and to trust that in Christ, all things are working together for good for those that love God. That you, you can't control tomorrow. You didn't control yesterday. You can't control tomorrow. You don't know what's coming. Maybe it's war, maybe it's famine, maybe it's tragedy, maybe it's death, maybe it's a broken relationship. I'm not telling you life's not scary. Life is really scary, but because of the empty tomb of Jesus Christ, no matter what comes, none of it gets the last word. None of it's more powerful than the love of God displayed in the cross. You don't have to be anxious. You can cease from worry in Jesus. We can rest from our self-authoring projects the way we try to curate perfect identities and project that to the world and pretend to be somebody that we're not, like, we don't have to do that anymore. We can stop working hard at hiding and pretending. We can rest from self-sufficiency. Jesus is our Sabbath, which means that your identity is a gift. It's not something you create. It's not something that you earn. So today today. We'll get to some questions about practical matters of well, what does that mean for a day off? <laughs> but let me just say, let me just say the essence of rest is not first and foremost getting the technique right. The essence of rest is beholding Jesus Christ and what God is communicating to you through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. It's receiving Sabbath. It's breathing in Jesus. My friend Sam Storms put it like this. Rest is the sole sigh of joyful relief and satisfaction that comes from experiencing the release of anxiety and tension, constantly wondering whether or not I've done enough to gain favor with God. Rest is the sole sigh of joyful relief and satisfaction that comes from never again fearing death as some dark and unknown termination. Rest is the soul's sigh of relief and satisfaction in knowing that even if everybody else abandons me, God never will. Rest is the soul's sigh of joyful relief and satisfaction in trusting the perfect and finished work of Christ for me rather than trusting the imperfect and never-ending effort on my part to work for Christ. Rest is the sole sigh of relief and satisfaction that comes when you forsake the endless and ultimately legalistic demands of religion and find everlasting peace and joy and hope in what God has done for you in Jesus. My prayer today is that you would find your Sabbath rest. Sabbath has a name. 
Sabbath has holes in his hands and holes in his feet. Sabbath is alive and Sabbath is praying for you and Sabbath is inviting you to stop striving. Now, let me ask just a couple of practical questions as we close today. Three questions and three brief answers. How do we manage to obey the fourth commandment? (laughs) Must we be strict Sabbatarians as some Christians are? Is the Sunday the Sabbath for Christians in the same sense that Saturday was for the Jews? Now, if you've done any research on this, you know that this is a really loaded conversation. And there are good Christians that I love and disagree with on this topic, and I respect them and their desire to faithfully obey God's word. I believe that historically understanding Jesus as our Sabbath means that the answer to those questions is no. No. Sunday is not just the new Sabbath in the same sense that the last day of the week was for Jewish people. Let me read to you two verses quickly. Colossians chapter 2. Paul writes, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And again, Romans chapter 14, verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, the fact that you don't have to keep a day a week as the Sabbath because Jesus is your Sabbath leads to a second set of questions. In light of that, should we still live lives in rhythm? Should we practice daily and weekly intentionality and work and rest? Are we still commanded to work and to rest? And the answer to that is yes. That is in the very grain of creation. We're called to work hard unto Jesus and to rest with Jesus both daily and weekly. To learn to find freedom in Christ with the incomplete completion of a day's work to learn to pull away a time, of, a time a week to reconnect to your humanity and creatureliness before God. We still need a day that reorients our hearts around communion and rest and breathing and playing and praying and being human beings that need each other. And this leads to the last question. Why is living in rhythm with work and rest so stinking hard? <laughs> Why is it so hard? Why is it so easy to either underwork or overwork, to move into idleness instead of intentional rest? Why is this so stinking hard? Let me just give you a few reasons it's hard so that you can bring these to Jesus, your rest. The first reason rest is so hard is identity confusion. We still think that we're earning. We still think that our bank accounts will tell us who we are one day. We still think, we still think, that other people's perception of us is who we really are. And therefore, it's hard to work hard and rest well because we don't know who we are. And once we figure out who we are in Jesus, we start to find a measure of freedom. In addition, it's hard to work and rest in rhythm because many of us find quiet and stillness terrifying. Like, hey, man, I I remember in high school, um, I used to sleep to like really loud punk rock music. The, the thought, like looking back, like metal and punk rock to try to get to sleep. Why? Because I found the noise of silence deafening. 
And I still, man, I'm almost 45 years old. I still in moments of retreat and reflection just want to do anything to make the silence stop. Just call somebody or like send an email or do some push-ups, do something. This is terrible. And, and what I want to submit to you is that if you, like me, find silence really frightening, God's wanting to meet you there, to meet you in that place, to speak to you there, to invite you into something really beautiful there. For others, we have a hard time resting because of fear of lack, fear of lack. It's a scarcity mentality. We don't believe that God's really our provider. We believe that we're our provider. And what I want to submit to you is that resting is a bit like tithing. A practice of formation through tithing is saying, hey man, we're stewards. Everything belongs to God. We're stewards. And as I, as I honor God with the first fruits of my income, what I'm saying is I'm trusting him to take care of me. It's not that I'm on my own. Same thing's true with rest. It's saying, hey, there will always be more to get done. There will always be the next email. There'll always be the next project. There'll always be something at your house that's busted up. And resting is simply receiving stewardship and saying, hey, God, my time belongs to you. And I believe that if I offer you, if I offer you my rest and if I offer you my work in rhythm, you'll take care of me. For others, we don't rest well because of worldly ambition without contentment. Hey, let me say it's good to work hard. And let me say this. It is a biblical, wise, and good principle. It's good to be remunerated from working hard. That's not a bad thing. It's good to make a living. It's good to provide for your family. And I hope that God blesses you in such a way with your career that you're able to bless the next generation and bless your family and leave an inheritance. Those are blessings and those are wonderful things. But worldly ambition can cloud all that and it can start to tell us that through achieving and through more, we create who we are. And that's just not true. That's not true. Um, if you look at most people who are driven by worldly ambition, they had a number in mind that they had to hit. They worked really hard, they hit that number, and then what happened to that number? <laughs> it got shifted to the right. And now they're working for the new number or for the new status symbol. Okay, we have to be really careful. The Bible commends to us again and again contentment, contentment, to work hard but be content with what we have. In addition, some of us find it difficult to find rhythms of work and rest just because of entropy. And here's what I mean by that. Like, um, when I first started processing rest and priorities as a young man, 22 years old, newlywed with my wife, we would build our calendar out to reflect our values, to reflect worship and communion with each other and time to rest and time to work really hard. We would build our calendar out. And I used to get so depressed because inevitably something would change, something would shift, and two months or three months would go by and all of a sudden the old patterns would be back. And I would feel like a total failure. Like, oh man, I blew it. Like, we were doing so well, what happened? Okay, now, after 25 years of marriage, I just know that that's life. That's life. If you get things in order, here's what's gonna happen things are going to move into chaos. <laughs> They're going to move into chaos. We live in a world where if you plant a garden and you walk away for six weeks and don't do anything in your garden and come back, it's not going to be flourishing. It's going to be full of weeds. That's the world in which we live that's fallen. So don't be frustrated and upset that you have to readjust. Readjust as often as you need to readjust. And then the last thing I'll say and this, this is an increasing problem in our culture and the people of God need to be vigilant here. 
Idleness is one of the reasons we don't rest well. Idleness. Idleness cheapens rest. Like, if you're not in a rhythm of work where you're working hard with your mind and your body, you'll find it really hard to rest. Years ago, when I first started trying to address my sins of overworking, I remember I was uh, doing a talk on Sabbath rhythms with a bunch of young staff members at a church many years ago, and I was preaching my guts out about the importance of not overworking and why they needed to take a break and why they needed to unplug. And as I was looking out on their faces, I finally realized that this was like, this was like preaching on the dangers of alcohol to a bunch of teetotalers. Like, that is not the talk that they needed. The talk that they needed was, guys, you as ministers of the gospel are kind of lazy. You need to work harder. You need to work harder because there's a lot of grown men in our church that look at a lot of pastors in the world and they don't respect them because their lives are too prone towards idleness, towards leisure. If you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, he knew how to rest. The Apostle Paul also had a gear that most men in our church don't have when it comes to ministry. He would get after it. He'd work circles around people. And I think one of the reasons, one of the reasons we don't rest well is because we don't know how to work well, right? And, and this is a total tangent, but like if you're taking a paycheck from somebody, let, let me just say a couple of things. If you're taking a paycheck from somebody, don't ever talk bad about the person or the company that you take a paycheck from. If they're bad enough to complain, have the integrity to quit. In addition, if you're on the clock, don't be a lazy turd. True, true story. You're not, you're not getting paid to be on TikTok. You're, you're not getting paid to be on Twitter. You're not getting paid to do research about what's the next movie that you want to watch on Netflix. Okay? Be disciplined. And what you'll find is as you start to work unto the glory of God, work like Jesus is your boss, what you'll find is that you'll need to rest because you will be tired. <laughs> and when you need to rest, rest will be all the sweeter. So, Let me pray for you. Take a second, bow your heads, close your eyes. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for infusing work and rest into the grain of creation. Thank you most importantly that Jesus is our Sabbath, that the new creation has begun. Teach us to be men and women that come back again to the finished work of Jesus regularly. Teach us to have lives that reflect the wisdom of how you've ordered things. God, we love you. We need you. We pray that you would speak to us, shape us, and form us. Amen.